You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wow, the 2021 NBA Draft is officially in the books. There is a lot to talk about, a lot to react to. Stay tuned and you will hear the Draft Dummies thoughts. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. You are locked on the NBA draft. My name is Sam Ferris. I am one of your co-hosts. As always, I'm joined by my fantastic co-host. It is co-host Cody Cody, it was, I thought it was going to be crazy yesterday. It was a lot of fun and it was even more crazy than I expected. Like you said in the intro, a lot to break down here. Why don't you give us kind of the roadmap of what we're going to cover in today's show? All right. So the first segment, Sam and I wanted to talk about the five teams that started the night with multiple first round picks. That was the Houston Rockets, the Thunder, Golden State. Orlando and the Knicks. So we're going to talk about those five teams. A lot happened, a lot of trades, and we're going to say who came away with the best haul, the best value uh, with those multiple first round picks to start the night. The second segment, we're going to talk a little bit of draft philosophy. We're going to talk about how many players from each draft actually go on to have meaningful NBA careers. And we're going to give you some second rounders who might be those guys that uh, outlive their draft position and become important roster pieces uh, down the road. And then the third third segment, we're going to get into a little bit of arguments about some picks, uh, who we thought had the best draft, who we thought some of the losers were as well. So Stay tuned, and uh, it's going to be a great podcast. Super excited uh, for this one. So let's get into it. A lot of content to cover. We were building up to the draft day, and it certainly lived up to it. So let's get into this first segment here. Cody and I, like he just mentioned in the roadmap to this episode, wanted to cover the teams that came into the night with multiple assets in the first round to kind of see how they made out in terms of what the night looked like to start out for them. And then the assets they ended up accruing at the end of the night, both in draft picks and capital down the line. So uh, Cody, which team do you want to start with? It looks like there were five teams that came in with multiple picks in the first round. Let's start with Houston since they had the second pick. So we know that they were going to take Jalen Green most likely. And then after some trades, they ended up with Jalen Green at second. 16th, they ended up with Alperin Shingun. 23rd, Usman Garuba. And then 24th, Josh Christopher. Yeah, so we're not here to necessarily give like a letter grade for every pick. But I would put this kind of like in the B to B minus range. So Jalen Green is the guy that I would have gone with at number two. You can argue for Mobley, but we've discussed this ad nauseum. We like Jalen Green there. I think he could be one of the very best athletes and one of the best scorers in the NBA. Can't get enough perimeter shot creators in today's modern NBA. Uh, And then they ended up with 16 and 23. Got kind of an interesting international tandem of bigs. Cody, what were your thoughts as you saw them take both Shen and Usman Garuba. 
Yeah, so they ended up uh, sort of trading up there with OKC via the Celtics uh, at 16 to snag Alperin, who some thought was going to go a lot higher than 16. And then they kept that 23rd one uh, via the Blazers to take Garuba. And it's interesting. I mean, if you pair those two um, at 16 and 23 with Jalen Green, that's not a bad haul in this class at all. Alperin, as we know, had one of the most productive age 18 seasons in a good European league uh, we've ever seen. If there is a knock, uh, it is defensively. And they took Garuba at at 23rd, who is arguably the best defender in this class. I know Sam thinks he's the best defender right now, even better than Mobley at, you know, this current stage. But uh, so, yeah, it's interesting. I the one pick I wasn't a big fan of was Christopher. I thought they could have gone with uh, a bunch of other guys that I like a lot better. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be guys on the board, right, that you would prefer teams to take. But, you know, for example, I would have advocated for taking Jalen Johnson with one of those picks. But to get Shangun and to get Usman Garuba, those are two picks that I liked both the value. And at this point in the draft, you do kind of have to look at how they fit, not necessarily into the current roster, but both a modern NBA fit and just how these guys they pick fit together. And Garuba and Shangun is pretty fun. But like you said, Cody, Christopher was the one pick that to me was just a little bit of a reach. I thought there were better guards on the board, whether it was a Miles McBride, a Bones Highland, Jaden Springer, uh, even a Sharif Cooper, obviously we prefer, but he went certainly a lot later than we expected. Uh, We kind of want to blow through all these teams pretty quickly and then compare them at the end of the segment. So let's move on to the Thunder, who kind of surprised us with, Josh Giddy at the top and Cody like I was surprised it ended up being Giddy but the fact that it ended up being someone that we didn't expect was not a huge surprise to me the Thunder just always seemed to have something up their sleeve and I thought there was just too much talk about book night that it was like a little over the top and it kind of ended up being the case that book night was a little bit of a smokescreen for a lot of these teams in the top 10. Yeah, it was interesting. I know you're a big fan of Giddy and wanted him to fall to your Warriors at seven. So that pick was very surprising um, at six. But I like it overall. I'm a very big Trey Mann fan if you listen to the podcast. So the Thunder grabbing him at 18th was awesome. And I don't care about their backcourt right now and how crowded it is with SGA and Dort and Teo Maladon. And they have Kemba Walker right now. But um, that doesn't doesn't really bother me. They are in such early stages of a mega rebuild. There's even talks that they're shopping Shea while his price is so high. He's looking so promising. So I like Trey Mann. Uh, and then JRE, uh, Sam and I are both fans of. And then 55th, they, they threw in Aaron Wiggins, who was kind of a little bit of a draft darling for Sam. He's a guy that I've really liked for a couple years at Maryland. So uh, not a bad night for OKC in my opinion yeah and just really quickly I had Giddy fifth on my board and Trey Mann 14th so not like complete bargains there but certainly got better value than the slots they were on and that's huge for me let's move to my Golden State Warriors my favorite team and I was rooting for them to take anyone other than Kaminga at seven he's a guy that I've just had a lower grade on throughout this process but I kind of thought they were going to take that home run swing at seven. But then, Cody, 
I kept seeing Moody dropping and dropping, and I was praying that he'd make it to 14. He is the guy that I would have taken no question at number seven. So to me, uh, one of the better values in this draft is Moses Moody, and he made up for that pick at seven of Kaminga. What were your thoughts on those two guys? Yeah, I mean, I think two years in a row, they took possibly the player with the lowest feel um, with Wiseman last year and Kaminga this year. So, I mean, I'm not a Warriors fan, so I was laughing while Sam was in angst. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, luckily they made up for it with Moody falling. Moody struggled as a primary, but on Golden State or most NBA teams, he's just not going to be asked to do that. So he can take his time and develop that and get better. But uh, he's going to fit in really nicely there. And he's a guy that I think can be more effective than some of the wings they have now. His basketball IQ uh, on both ends of the floor is that good. He's that disruptive as a defender. And Sam and I both think he's going to shoot the lights out of the ball. So love the Moody uh, value at 14 like you. I wish they would have just taken him at seven and then gone with guys um, that you and me liked a, a lot more at 14. But uh, we'll see. Kaminga has all the physical tools. We know that uh, he doesn't fit their timeline because if he does end up reaching his ceiling, it's going to be years down the road. So I don't know if they'll shop him and Wiseman and uh, see if anything happens there. But I think they got bailed out a little with Moody. And I wish they would have taken him seven and gone elsewhere at 14. It would have been a much more impressive draft in my mind. They could have just gone elsewhere at seven and still got Moody at 14, though, too. So, I mean, either way. In in hindsight. but In hindsight. At the time, for sure, yeah. At the time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, moving on to the Orlando Magic, another one of my favorite uh, drafts of the night. Again, in the final segment, Cody and I will give you kind of our finalized favorite hauls from this draft. But, yeah, hint, hint, I love the Magic draft. I've talked about Suggs, like, I've tweeted this out before, but if he fell past number four, to me, whoever got him at number five was going to be one of my winners of draft night. He, in fact, did fall to five. The Raptors did go Scotty Barnes, which to me, not something I necessarily agreed with, but there were rumors of that leading up to the occasion. And then to go with Franz Wagner at eight, two, um, you know, two guys that are very different and also... Uh, I think can complement each other when we're looking at their core. They are also a team that kind of has a glut of a lot of guards, but to me, Suggs is the best of all of them. One of the best value picks of the night because I viewed him as being one of those clear top four guys in this class. Yeah. The thing with the magic in their rebuild, at least in my opinion, is they have a bunch of really solid young players that I think can be great role players or sidekicks uh, depending on how they develop but they need the guy uh one of the few things perkins said yesterday that i liked was saying Suggs potentially could be the head of their snake you know and Mm -hmm. to get to have him fall in their laps at five i mean if his off the dribble jumper is legit in which you and me think it is we think he'll be end up being a great shooter he could be that guy that you know takes that next step in his really the head of the franchise, the player that really moves the needle. Uh, I just like him. I think he's a higher chance to do that than anyone they have on the roster right now. Yeah. To that point, I think they both need a guy that they can say, this is the head of our rebuild. Like you said, both in terms of the player on the floor, 
but also a guy to establish kind of a culture in the locker room and of the franchise. I don't think they really have that at this point. And I think you're really getting that with Jalen Suggs. So that's why I love that pick. And then the Knicks also, they were a bit, they were pretty interesting too. Um, they ended up trading down a couple times and did end up <coughs> selecting a few guys that do seem like New York Knicks, uh, do seem like Tom Thibodeau type guys. Cody, at 25, they ended up going to, with Grimes. They got Rokas Yokobitis and Miles McBride in the second round. And then Jericho Sims, who I like as a big at the end of the second round. I know you're a big Grimes guy. Did you like that pick at 25? How was the value for you there? Yeah, I did. So they were trading down like crazy. They started the night with the 19th and the 21st. Uh, for them to trade down and get Grimes is a big win for me. Not everyone agrees with that, but he's a 6'6 wing uh, shooting guard that is going to shoot the lights out of the ball. I think his jump shot's that good. I think he's going to be a 40% three-point shooter. And he's tough and hard-nosed defensively, too. And put him with Tibbs, I think he's going to be really good on that end of the floor. So that was awesome, in my opinion. And then, you know, they, they made multiple trades on the night, but they end up with the 36 pick uh, with Miles McBride, who, you know, is a Tom Thibodeau player through and through. That's one of the best uh, marriages we could think of before the draft. Uh, just tough, hard-nosed defender. And he improved so much this last year offensively, uh, being a great off-the-dribble shooter, shot over 40% from three. Uh, I love the fit there. So, yeah, not how I thought it would go for the Knicks with the 19th and 21st, but I thought they ended up doing an okay job. Uh, Rokas at 34, uh, you know more about him than I do, Sam, so we'll see how how he is. But overall, you know, they certainly took a different route than we expected, but I don't mind it. All right, so coming up next, we're going to go a little more in-depth, and we're going to discuss, you know, coming into the night versus leaving the night. In terms of the value play here, which of these we like the best in terms of these five teams we just discussed. And then, like Cody mentioned, we will get into some of our draft theory and philosophy through the lens of the draft that just occurred last week. Uh, but first, let's get into this break. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. If you've listened to this show before, you know that I'm not a big protein bar guy. Just generally don't love the taste. But it is different with Built Bar. I'm I am a I'm a berry. I'm a fruit guy. So I love the cherry barcia. I love the strawberry and the orange flavors. And for chocolate loving people, they're 100% covered in chocolate. On top of the taste too, they are for health conscious people like Cody and I. 17 to 18 grams of protein, only four to five grams of sugar, and only four to five grams of net carbs. So again, amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. And because you're listening to our show, you get a, a great offer where you can go to built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off at built.com. All righty. So real quickly, Sam, winners and losers of those five teams we just discussed. So for me, I would go, and you have to look at it at a value play, Cody. Uh, it's not like we're necessarily playing fantasy football here, but I think it's interesting to look at, you know, we do our boards and I know teams do the same way. 
where you rank guys in tiers. So if you look at it through a value proposition, it's best to be picking at the end of a tier because then you're getting the best value at that point in time. So when I look at it through a value lens, uh, I like the magic because to me, Suggs was clearly one of the top four guys. To me, he's one of those guys that will define this draft class. So to get him at five and then to get another you know, solid pick at number eight that I think fits the core in Franz Wagner, uh, the magic to me would probably be my number one winner from that group of five teams. Yeah, I was going to say magic, probably number one for me. They kept it simple and uh, ended up with great, great choices at fifth and eighth, in my opinion. OKC in Houston, I like it overall. There are some small things I would have changed, like Christopher. And I like JRE, but at 32nd, I thought maybe there were some other guys. Uh, but I still, I like their draft overall. And then the Knicks, it was unconventional, but they happened to take players that I really like in Grimes and Deuce McBride. So uh, was happy with it there. If I had to pick one loser, it'd probably be the Warriors uh, only because of the Kaminga pick. I really wish yeah. they would have gone Moody at seven and then gone with like Trey Murphy or Isaiah Jackson at 14. I would have yeah. loved that if that were the case. Uh, but they got Moody at 14. So that that's not bad value at all. That's great. Yeah, so I think this is an interesting discussion. Again, if you want to look through it through the lens of best value, like I think on the Warriors board, they got fantastic value. Again, looking at you want to, if you want to extract the most value draft at the end of a tier, and I think Moody might have been one of the single most best you know, value plays of the night. Obviously for me, Sharif Cooper, middle of the second round <laughs> was insane value. But to get Moody at 14, Cody, a guy that I had sixth on my board, and on top of that, a perfect fit in the Warriors system, that is a guy that I loved. But let's get into kind of a little devil's advocate here because we love looking at all these picks. I know I'm a bit of a draft nerd. Obviously, this is what I do year-round, but we like looking at the second round almost as much as the, as the first round. But when it does come down to it, Really, there's about 20 guys from each class that stick around. And when you talk about guys that really matter in the NBA, there's probably six to eight or nine that really matter in the NBA from each draft class. And so when you look at it through that lens, Cody, I also would, on top of the Magic and on top of, uh, on top of the Warriors getting Moody, I think getting Josh Giddy at six was a reach to other people, but I had him fifth on my board. So to me, he's another one of those few guys from this class that when we look back six, seven years from now, he's one of those seven to nine guys that will really matter from this class. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like your thought exercise there where if you put your board together and you have tiers, you know, if, if you get guys at the bottom of that tier that means, you know, in relation to their peers that are also in that tier, you're you're getting great value because they're they're pretty similar. They're in the same tier. They're the same talent level, the same, uh, you know, potential and whatnot. And I agree with you. Moody at 14. Giddy was right around six. So uh, that was on my board. So that was good for me. Um, I'm maybe not quite as high on him as you, but I, I love him nonetheless. Um did you have one, any other one, one spot difference on our boards? <laughs> right. 
Yeah. That's a big disagreement for the draft dummies, though. But just wait till the third segment. We might actually have a real disagreement. We'll but see. There's a lot of nuance and variance exactly. in our boards in total. So even though it's only one spot difference, I'm not as high for sure either. But for sure. Um, so one other thing I wanted to get into, Cody, is we love talking about the idea of having a strategy, having a draft theory. I love getting into the weeds on this. We talk about, you know, gambling on potential primary creators because having guys that can run on ball, that can run offense for you and create advantages is huge in the NBA. We also talk about valuing two-way wings. Um, so I want to look at this through the lens of a couple of these teams. To me, Cody, the Thunder have a pretty clear theory when it comes to the draft, and we saw it in this draft. They took Giddy and they took Trey Mann. Um, so the positive there is they had a strategy and they stuck to it. Two guys that are two of the top four on-ball creators in this class. In fact, outside of the top four, outside of Suggs and outside of Cade, those guys to me are the two top potential on-ball creators. So I like the strategy and I like the value, but I want to get your analysis and your point of view in terms of uh, from a coaching and from a development perspective, because as you hinted at in the first segment, the Thunder now do have a glut of guards. Uh, they drafted Teo Maladon last year. They've got SGA. They got Kemba. Dort was a guy that had the ball in his hands a lot last year. So from that perspective, Cody, in terms of their development, at some point, the strategy on draft night does have to really manifest itself into real basketball situations. And real basketball, you know, at some point, again, is a zero-sum game. There's only one ball to give to these teams, these guys. There's there's only so many minutes to go around, only so many practice reps to go around. Uh, so looking at it from that perspective, do you worry at all about having a glut of guys that might need the ball or maybe are best with the ball in their hands? Context, because that yeah. definitely too many cooks in the kitchen can be a horrible thing for contending teams uh, when you have so many guys that are effective doing the same thing. But context with OKC, you know, in my opinion, OKC specifically is just where they're at in the rebuild. So especially if you're very analytically driven and you're going BPA on draft night, you just take best player available and uh, you just make a culture of competition and you see, you know, the cream rise to the top. So where they're at in the rebuild, it doesn't bother me at all, especially if they're going to try and deal Kemba, which is going to be hard. And then for whatever reason, you know, there it, there's rumors that they're shopping SGA while his price is so high right now, having such an amazing season. So if they're, I mean, if they're looking, if SGA is almost too old for their rebuild and they're still trying to get assets and young players, doesn't bother me at all that they, they got Giddy and Trey Mann. Uh, I love Trey Mann too. So if he was the best player available on their board at 18, I think it's great value as well. And uh, yeah, and the competition is only going to make those guys better as well uh, I'm not sure how they feel about Teo Maladon but he exceeded my expectations his rookie year so 
um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Who knows what Presti is thinking? Um, mostly always keeping uh, you know his cards close to his chest, but it doesn't bother me. It's all context uh, specific, and when you're this early in a rebuild, uh, it really doesn't matter to me who you end up selecting. Yeah, I think this is a really kind of interesting case study, and you hit on a couple of great points. Number one, they're just too early in the rebuild to really worry about fit. Uh, I'll add a couple more thoughts here. Number one, we were looking at this this roster and we were looking at like, yeah, they keep getting these guys that might be potential primaries. But also something that we like to harp on is positional size and flexibility. And Cody, when you look at SGA, you look at Lou Dort, Teo Maladon, Josh Giddy, Trey Mann. Yeah, those guys might all be most effective now with the ball in their hands but they also all have positional size and versatility. And to me, that is a huge thing that you do have to take into account. And I think that's something that they are, they are actively looking at doing. Like that's not an accident that they ended up with a bunch of six, five to six, eight guys that can handle the ball. And I'd also even throw Poku in there too. Right. Mm -hmm. And then also Cody, something I've been thinking about and is pretty interesting to me is, Yeah, you could classify these guys as all similar archetype, but just because guys are a similar archetype does not mean they have the same skill set. And having a diversity of skill sets, especially, you know, they hope to get in the playoffs at some point, you have to have a diversity of skill sets, whether it's guys that get to the rim more, guys that have the in-between game. Uh, Because we like to look at this game analytically at times, but when it comes to playoffs and the games of matchups, you need guys that have different and varying skill sets to take advantage of different situations. So, for example, you know, you look at Trey Mann versus Josh Giddy. Giddy is the playmaker. He loves setting guys up. Uh, he, he can play both on and off the ball. He facilitates a good offense. Then Trey Mann is completely different, where he is one of the best space creators off the bounce, creating his own shot from the perimeter. Um, And then Teo Maladon is a young guy that can play both on and off the ball and is a pretty good shooter as well off the ball. And then SGA to me is kind of the star of the group. He can do a lot of different things. So, and, and, and he's the best getting to the rim, which again, adds a bit more diversity to that group. So not only do they have a lot of guys from the same archetype, but I love the diversity of skill set that they have here. And I think that is kind of a fascinating way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. All those guys complement each other very well. And their just mere presence of being on the court together helps the other in what they're trying to do. So, and yeah, you know how much I love Trey, man. He, he played on and off ball at Florida. He's, I think he's a combo guard for sure. So yeah, I, I like it. I'm excited to watch OKC play. Uh, they're a league spe- league pass special for me with uh, yeah. Poku still there and SGA as fun as they are throwing Trey Mann and Giddy. Like they're one of the most um, fun teams to watch, in my opinion, that I'm most excited for. Yeah. Can you imagine summer league when we're going to be there of Giddy and Poku whipping passes around and Trey Mann pulling up? It's going to be pretty awesome. Um, But let's get into a break here. And then in the final segment, we are going to discuss the Davion Mitchell pick because it's kind of a fascinating one. And then we're going to give maybe some more overall winners and losers. And we didn't have time for the second round guys in this segment. So hopefully we'll have time in that final segment. 
This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local auto chain parts store to stock all the parts you need. And why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers at home, so you can do this yourself at rockauto.com. I'm kind of a do-it-yourselfer. I call myself a YouTube mechanic, uh, actually, not just saying it for the ad. I do work on my cars, and I have used Rock Auto before, and it saves me a lot of money. I'll go into the local um, or the national chain stores uh, and inquire about the part and look on Rock Auto, and I will save 50 to 100 bucks all the time by ordering on Rock Auto. So they're super reliable. Uh, they always have uh, low prices. It's been a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. So go to rockauto.com right now. Look at all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in there. How did you hear about us to let them know that you came from us? Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. All right, Sam. So let's quickly get into this. Where did you want to start? Uh, yeah, let's do let's do the Davion Mitchell thing first. And then I do have before we finish. We'll do a couple second round guys, and then I have one more big winner from the draft that I I have to mention at some point. Okay, yeah. So the kind of yeah, give the context, the background here. Sam and I have on Davion Mitchell really is just his defense in the NBA because I thought the pick by the Kings at nine was weird, especially from Monty McNair. I'm not saying I like the pick. I didn't have Mitchell top nine on my board. I just think that he's going to be able to defend at a high level in the NBA and he's going to be able to guard up like the Patrick Beverly's, the Chris Paul's, the Marcus Smart's. That's kind of just my opinion on him is that he's that special defensively. He's so good on the perimeter in his lateral quickness and he's strong. He's built like a tank. I don't know if watching him play you've noticed or last night at the draft but he is one of the more broad six foot guys i have ever seen and he's a bulldog so i really like mitchell uh, i know sam likes him but he doesn't think his defense and correct me if i'm wrong sam will be as good as you know i think it will be yeah basically like the high level way i would say it is it's just hard for me to bet on an anomaly here because when you look at it through the lens of history, it is basically Chris Paul is the only guy at a similar size. Like if you look at their measurements, he and Chris Paul are very similar. Chris Paul is the only guy at that size that's like made an all defensive team. Um, and so like the, the, the quote from Monty McNair was that he thinks he's going to be great defensively because he can guard four positions in the NBA. So you know, everyone has a different definition for a position in the NBA, and there's a lot of nuance to it, too. But to me, if you're picking at number nine and you're saying we're drafting this guy because he can guard four positions, like I don't count sticking him in, like in the corner on Daniel House as guarding a position. I mean, like guarding in a very positive way four different like positions, however you want to describe that. And to me, 
I, I can't bet on a guy at that size being able to guard four positions. And and look, it was it was funny to me because Monty McNair was billed it, and he is this analytical guy. And Davion Mitchell is like the complete opposite of an analytical pick. Um, so to throw it back to you, Cody, my question is, you compare him to a Marcus Smart, but the way I look at it is, if you took two inches of height and five inches of wingspan off Marcus Smart, is Marcus Smart like even a good player in the NBA? Yeah, so first of all, if you're bringing up, like if the argument's based off the Kings at number nine, I agree with you. Like that's that's not where I would have taken Mitchell. I have him much lower. But, and then as far as Smart, yeah, I mean, he is much taller than Davion Mitchell. Uh, but I brought his name up just because of the similar play style and the similar mentality. And I think Marcus Smart could still be an effective defender if he was smaller, uh, like Chris Paul or, or Patrick but, Beverly. But like, how good but, do you think? Like, on I think it's an interesting thought experiment. Not that I'm like, not that I think, you know, it's like there's an easy answer here. I like if Marcus Smart had a six four point two five wingspan, I lean toward him not being like he'd be a solid defender still, but he is not to me at least. I don't think he'd be like in the conversation of all NBA defensively. Do you disagree with that? You know, obviously he wouldn't be nearly as good as he is now, but I still think Marcus Smart would be the mentality, the toughness, the lateral quickness, the strength. I mean, we've, we've seen other players that short play that well, such, you know, as uh, Pat Bev and Chris Paul, but a hundred percent that they're the exceptions to the rule. There's a yeah. reason, like you said, there, there aren't guys that that size that end up making all defensive teams or are even close to being like, you know, just a positive defender. And I a hundred percent agree with that. All I'm saying is Davian Mitchell is one of those generational exceptions to the rule i think he's that special defensively okay yeah i mean there's no argument for that like if you just think he's generational i'm just not willing to bet on a complete outlier like i think he right. can be good on point guards but if you're saying like he's gonna guard like a uh i don't not even like a superstar but like a paul George, jalen tate or jason tatum uh like jalen brown like, I don't think he's going to be good enough or versatile enough to be like you're winning a play. Like going into a playoff series, your plan is to put Davion Mitchell on Jason Tatum. Like, I, I just don't think that's something that I can like bank on. And so yeah. that just takes a lot of value away from my view of him as a prospect. Yeah, 100 percent. And again, I do not value him at number nine. And I wouldn't go into a series with him being the guy starting on those, but we've seen guys like Patrick Beverly, even Kyle Lowry, guard up Chris Paul when, especially when he was younger, guard up and make it really tough. And this is the thing with the NBA. It's not like he's not going to get scored on, but Kawhi Leonard gets buckets on him all the time, especially in the modern NBA and how it's so geared towards the offense, all the rules and the officiating and whatnot. I think Mitchell would make, it really hard even on perimeter players such as George and Tatum. I'm not saying he would stop those guys, but he would do just fine like anyone else would in slowing them down compared to to other smaller guys. I just think he's that quick, he's that strong, he's that tough. 
Um, but yeah, our, our difference only comes that I think he is a generational defender. We both agree that uh, it is very, very rare for someone that size to be that way. I just happen to think he uh, he will be one of those guys. Yeah, my final thoughts on him here is it's just tough to take a guy that small. You have to be like insanely skilled offensively and have a ton of usage on the ball offensively from a young age to really make it because I, yeah, like to bet on the defense like you do, but you're betting on an, an anomaly, which is fine. And like, I agree, like his work ethic, his mentality, his demeanor are things I want to bet on, which is why I have him higher than I would just looking at the numbers and just looking at his age, right? Like you do have to put some stock into that, but there just aren't guys that become heavy on ball NBA players that, that weren't in college until four years into their career. So looking at it from that side of the ball, plus then the defensive side of the ball that I've mentioned, that's to me why he's a guy I would have picked in the twenties rather than in the top 10. And yeah, then, and I, I wouldn't have taken ahead. him in top 10 either. So yeah. not even close. And I actually like Jared Butler more than Mitchell. Yeah. But So and again, he went, he went forward. Comparing <laughs> him to nine, and I'm not saying he should go lottery yeah. at all. But. Yeah. So I'll go out on a limb actually and say that he is he will not be one of the top two perimeter defenders from this class. Because he won't be able to stay on the floor, or you just don't uh, think he Both because is. his offense won't necessarily warrant yeah. it, and then just betting on the size defensively. Like, Jalen Suggs, I think, will be better. One, because the offense will be better to have him out there, and also right. the size, and because of the age. So if you look at, mm-hmm. like, the age, not to get too far into this, but analytically, freshman guards, Jalen Suggs and Marcus Smart are the best defensive guys analytically over the last like 10 plus years uh so you know i i do value age and especially Mm -hmm. like Suggs is going to be better offensively too so oh yeah not even close comparing them as prospects for sure uh let's move on to i know you wanted to hit on a couple second round guys that we do think will stick around that we do think will outplay their draft slot and then I'll give you kind of my final winner from draft night. Uh, so, Cody, do you have a couple guys up uh, that you're ready to call as some of your favorite second round picks? Yeah, so these are some second rounders that I think could have meaningful NBA careers being very solid role players on good playoff teams. Uh, Deuce McBride, for sure, for me. Jared Butler. Isaiah Livers, I think, can be a rotational piece in the NBA. Uh, Sharif Cooper, you and me obviously love his upside, and I really hope the jump shot can become respectable because he he is the highest ceiling of all these guys if if that jump shot becomes a thing. And then I'll throw in Charles Bassey. I think he's super active, fun big, that uh, protects the rim well, rebounds, and he's a vertical lob threat, vertical floor spacer. I really like Bassey. I think he can be an effective role player in the NBA. Yeah, if we're talking about teams coming into the night that completely outdid their draft position in terms of value, to me, the Utah Jazz getting Jared Butler at number 40. I know, obviously, there are health concerns, but he can come in and play 12 to 15 minutes a night for literally like a championship level team tomorrow, I think. Uh, like he he was he was 
Baylor's best player, in my opinion. And he's a guy that has really no weaknesses. He can defend, he can shoot, he can, he's got one of the best handles in the class. Uh, I love that pick. I hope he can stay healthy. Um, I, I think he can give the Jazz minutes right away. And to say that about a second round pick with like a good level of confidence is not something that happens very often. And then to me, Sharif Cooper, Cody, I had him seventh on my board. To me, he was like the best player available for almost two hours on draft night. It was insane. Uh, real quick, Cody, was Sharif Cooper dropping all the way to 48th more surprising or was Josh Primo going all the way up at number 12 <laughs> more surprising? You know, I want to say Primo just because of the shock value of the shock being the, at the time being a, yeah. a positive pick, whereas Sharif Cooper was more of the negative of him just not being picked. So there it wasn't necessarily as surprising shock value wise. But uh, yeah, I did not think Cooper would drop that far. And thinking about it after the draft now, that is very surprising as well. And then one other one I'll mention, everyone knows that I am, I'm high on JT Thor. I think I had him as the 10th or 11th best prospect in this whole class. Uh, we've talked about him a lot in the past. Unfortunately, you know, he did go to the Hornets, which, you know, from a bird's eye view seems like a good situation. But in this same draft alone, they also took Kai Jones. I prefer JT Thor, actually. But because Kai Jones was the higher pick, it seems like he will probably get priority in terms of like development and playing time. Uh, I hoped Thor would go earlier and I hope he just shows how at summer league. And like we tend to say, if you're really good, the cream does tend to rise to the top. Right, Cody? Yep. Yep, exactly. All right, Sam. So who are some of your winners or losers or maybe just one of them? I know you wanted to mention a specific team here. Yeah, so we have to mention the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Jalen Johnson and J and uh, Sharif Cooper, I had top 10 grades on both of them on my board. I understand the concerns with both, but the talent level warrants a top 10 pick. And at some point, you have to bet on the talent. Uh, in this case, on draft night, those guys fell much further, in my opinion, than they should have. And the, the Atlanta Hawks have done quite the job stockpiling talent. Uh, at some point, though, Cody, I am a bit worried because of a lot of our favorite guys over the last two years are kind of buried in Atlanta. Uh, going back last year to Skylar Mays and Okongwu, uh, we did see some good moments from Okongwu, but Skylar Mays specifically. And then now Jalen Johnson, who I'm especially high on. I had him number nine on my board. He went 20th. And then Sharif Cooper, again, I had seventh. He went 48th. I hope these guys can find a way to get minutes. Uh, when you're talking about, like, the best value drafts ever, the Atlanta Hawks, like, comparing my board to how it went, I mean, that is, like, one of the greatest drafts ever <laughs> in terms of just value for the slot. So I just hope at least a few of these guys can get minutes. But, uh, I mean, that was a fantastic value draft. And I'm excited to watch the Summer League team. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's interesting because the, the Hawks, great value uh, in our opinions. I mean, 48th, Sharif Cooper. But then for the prospects themselves, they're, they're buried on a very deep roster. So pretty interesting. Um, a team I wanted to note, uh, just sneaky, quietly good, was the Indiana Pacers. 
We know the age concerns with Duarte, and they took him before Moses Moody, which was interesting because they're pretty similar, and Moody's, you know, I think five-plus years younger. Yeah. Uh, but I love Duarte. I think he's plug-and-play right away, and even though he's 24, he has, you know, a double-digit season career in front of him still. So I like the pick there. And then they ended up with Isaiah Jackson, who, if, especially if they're shopping Miles Turner and they're going to get some returns for him, Isaiah Jackson will be a guy that just stars in his role. We love his shot blocking, his athleticism, and he's going to do what you want from your center and, and no more. So uh, I like the Pacers last night as well. Yeah, I'm a big Isaiah Jackson guy. That was good value. Uh, one last kind of fun thought, Cody, is, you know, we were watching the draft together and – Davion Mitchell going nine and Zaire Williams going 10 and Giddy also going six were pretty big surprises, but I feel like we almost didn't even get to process them that much because Primo went 12th. Uh, and so like those were surprises, but then like we didn't get to process them like two minutes later or five minutes later, whatever it was, Primo going 12th, one of the biggest surprises to me, one of the worst values, honestly, sorry, Spurs fans in recent draft history. Uh, it's shocking. It's up there with the Papayanis pick of the Kings a couple years, like eight years ago, whenever that was. Uh, but yeah, we expected it to be fun. We expected it to be crazy. I tweeted that it was not going to go according to script, and it certainly did not. No, that that was one of the most shocked uh, moments for me and in, in my draft watching experience for sure. All right, Sam, do you have any closing thoughts before we sign off here? No, that was it. It's been a lot of fun. I just want to thank everyone for joining us through this whole draft cycle. Uh, but for us, it does, it does not end here. We will be at the summer league and I'll be continuing to do this year round love to do it and i'd love to have you guys always listen in so thank you guys as always for listening betting on sports doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new locked on bets podcast hosted by your boy q and handicapping expert lee sterling get daily picks blowout specials wrong team favored picks and lee sterling's lock of the day Follow the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts.